we're going to light our uh, Advent candles. We're on week two, remembering even as the days get darker that Jesus' light comes. It's of no small thing that that shift from the days getting darker to the days getting lighter happens, right? At this time of year, picked intentionally. Let's, uh, let's pray just before we jump into our word this morning. Lord, we thank you again that we can gather in your presence. Would you open our hearts today uh, to your word and to the life you have for us, we ask in your name. Amen. Last week, we looked at Jeremiah. Jeremiah lived before Israel's exile to Babylon. And Jeremiah had this dual message. If you were here last week, you might remember a dual message of judgment and of of hope that he gave to the people. God, The judgment part was that God was going to respond to Israel's injustices and actually... uh, do something quite dramatic about it. He was going to send them into exile and deal with their sin, deal with their oppression and the idolatry in the nation. And yet there's also a message of hope in Jeremiah that God is not going to just abandon the people altogether. He's going to renew them and restore them. That's his heart. And that restoration is going to come fully and finally in the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is going to deal ultimately with our sin and with our death. And as we await his second advent, as a church, we anticipate that hope that he will make all things well when he comes again. So Jeremiah has that message of God is going to come and set things right. This is before Israel's exile to Babylon. And now today we jump into Malachi. And Malachi lived about 100 years after the exile. So we're now a century or so later. The people have returned to the land. The temple's been rebuilt. And things aren't going very well. It's kind of a downer. Most of the, a lot of the Old Testament is sort of a downer, especially these prophets. Things are not going well. When the people had first returned to Israel, the hopes are high. We're going to rebuild things. It's going to be great. We're going to get the temple going. We're going to get our wall going, right? It's going to be awesome. There's all these great prophetic expectations as well that the Messiah will show up. He will set things right. He'll establish God's kingdom. We're good to go. But unfortunately, that didn't happen. And the Israelites that come back to the city, it turns out, are just as unfaithful as their ancestors. Like I said, it's a real sort of downer. And so God raises Malachi up to speak God's word and God's response to a new generation. And this book is set up as just a just a little background the book set up as a as a series of disputes where god gives a claim of something and the people respond with a question to the claim and then god uh, responds to that question he gives a response so god will say something and the people will disagree with him and then he'll explain why what he said is true and this happens six times through malachi And our passage this morning is from that fourth dispute, God answering why uh, he is just and why he is good. But the overall theme of the book, unfortunately, is that the exile to Babylon didn't actually change people's hearts. As much as it was good for some, I'm sure, overall Israel doesn't learn the lesson. They're still corrupt. There's still people in poverty. And in many ways, the new generation's no better than the last 
And God, through Malachi, now confronts this generation's rebellion. And like I said, our text this morning comes from the fourth of these six disputes in the book, which, which starts actually in chapter 2, 17, with the people asking, where's God's justice? He's neglecting us. And God responds by saying, actually, I will come with justice, but first I'll send my messenger. So look again at chapter 3, verse 1. This is God's response to the people. Actually, let's go just up a little bit. Go to chapter 2, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, says God. But you say, how have we wearied him? And then God responds by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? get this sense that in Israel there's been a perversion or, or a, something's gone askew in their understanding of what's good and what's evil. And I think for a lot of us today in our world, we could easily say the same. There are areas of life that would be evil in God's eyes that we celebrate as a society as good. And as a church, we navigate those issues. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. But God says, hang on a second. Things are not well. And then we get chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before who? Before me. Before God himself shows up to deal with things. The Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts. So there's this great hope that a messenger is going to come that's going to get the people prepared And the messenger is to get them ready for the arrival of God. And when he comes, it's a good thing, but it's a bit of a dangerous thing. Because if you are one perpetuating the injustice and the idolatry in the land, God's come to set things right, and he's got some things to say and some things to do. When you are on the wrong side of the law in that sense, he is going to come to set things right. The messenger prepares the people And then the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And then, verse 2, but who can endure the day of his coming? When he does show up, who can stand when he comes? He'll be like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. There's this sense that when God comes, there's a purification that happens. There's a a burning off of, of... of what's not good in our lives when God shows up. He deals with sin in our hearts. And that can be a painful experience, I think, sometimes when we have to let go of those things that are maybe idols in our hearts and give them to God and let him do that work. And so God responds by saying he is going to come and do justice. He's going to come like purifying fire to remove the idolatry and the sexual immorality and the injustice. And now by the end of Malachi, you get this sense of the day of the Lord coming, and it is a twofold thing. It's a day of reckoning and purifying for those who are oppressors, but it's a day of joy and life and healing and celebration for those who do repent and turn to the Lord because they're ready for him to come. They're excited that he's finally showing up. And so for the faithful remnant the day of the lord is this day of hope so the passage sets up this question for the readers in malachi and for us today in many ways will you 
continue in sin and injustice and need to face the refining fire of God? Or will you repent and turn and give your life to God and experience his freedom and his truth and his grace? That's an important call for us to hear. That's the ancient background of the text. But now let's think about, as we're thinking Advent, the ways that Jesus fulfills this. Malachi concludes with chapter 4, 4 to 6. If you have a Bible, just turn there quickly. This is the end of Malachi. Chapter 4, 4 to 6 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. And then, this reminder again, verse 5, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You can see the warning there, hey? These are the final words of the Old Testament, right? This isn't just the conclusion of Malachi. This is the conclusion of the whole of Israel's scriptures. It almost serves like a concluding appendix to both the Torah, the law of Moses, and to the prophets, sort of the whole collection. And the reader's call to remember the law of Moses. Look at verse 4, right? Remember the law of my servant Moses. We're kind of being told to recall all that's happened so far in the story. And then we get this summary that God's going to send Elijah before the day of the Lord to restore the hearts of his people. And so Malachi is making the point that the Torah and the prophets, all of Israel's scriptures is telling this unified story that's actually ending on this cliffhanger. Is God going to come? Is the messenger going to come? And once the messenger does come, will Yahweh himself show up to redeem Israel? Is he going to come and set things right? I like how uh, Timothy Mackey puts it. He says, the Bible tells the truth about the human condition, about our selfishness and sin. But the scriptures also announce God's promise that one day he will send a messenger and then show up personally to confront evil and to restore his people and to bring healing justice. And so the whole Old Testament ends on that cliffhanger, waiting for the one who will come, one who will be like a new prophet, a new Moses or a new Elijah, who will restore God's people and heal their hard hearts before he himself comes to set his creation right. Now, I was thinking back to, oh, I think it was three years ago, we did our series on Mark. If you were here, you would remember a uh, little bit of that perhaps back in, in, I think it was 2018. Yeah, just over three years ago, we were doing Mark. And one of my favorite parts of Mark is thinking about the beginning of how Mark sets up his gospel. Because Mark is considered the first gospel written, even though it's second in the in the order in your Bible. It's, it's the earliest gospel. And so Mark's words are really important for tying into what's, what we've just read, what we've just come off of. And what Mark does is so amazing. Because in Mark, you've got 500 years after Malachi's final word. That's a long time to wait, right? That's a long time to wait. 500 years Mark opens with these words, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Mark purposely picks up the hope from the end of Malachi and ties it into his telling 
of the arrival of Jesus. And so rather than focusing on Jesus' genealogy or his family roots, Mark connects his story directly to the end of the Old Testament and says, look it, I'm picking up the same story. The cliffhanger has finally reached its finale. Here we are at the conclusion. And he's quoting both Isaiah and Malachi saying, now the story that began with the Torah and the prophets is continuing on. And Mark reminds his readers that God would send a messenger to repair the people, and then God himself would show up as the king. And what happens right away in Mark's gospel? We're introduced to John the Baptist, the new Elijah, the one that Malachi looked ahead to. And right when you'd expect, now we've met the messenger, and now Yahweh's going to show up, who does he introduce? Jesus. Here he is. Here he's come. The child who is like no other, God with us. Here's Yahweh returning at long last. And in Jesus, that hope that the people had of finally coming out of exile, of finally being freed from their sin and their idolatry and the injustice in their society, finally meets its conclusion. And Jesus himself is that, is that fulfillment of that promise that was never met in Malachi, that God's presence would come to fill the temple again. And now here's Jesus come Israel gets instead, says Mark, something even greater, a new, living, breathing, walking temple himself. Jesus, Yahweh with skin on, dwelling with them. He's the return of the glory to God's people. And you know who picks this up? It's in a classic Christmas, Christmas reading. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon picks up these themes. If you look at chapter, uh, Luke chapter 2, Simeon's sort of a forgotten Christmas character sometimes. Here he is waiting in the temple. Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Listen to how it introduces Simeon. Jesus has been born. His parents are bringing him to the temple. In verse 25, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. That tells you he's on the right side of things from Malachi's perspective. And what's he doing? What's the hope that the people are waiting for? What's the hope that many of us are still longing for in our world he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for God to come and set things right. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Spirit that he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. Who knows? Did he ask politely or just grab the kid? Who knows, right? But he shows up. Ask, can I take him? You know, took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. It's all in this one. The salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And I love verse 33. And his mother and his father marveled at what had been said about him. But did you catch that? For my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus is the light of revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. Here at last is the return of God's glory. And where are they standing? You can say it out loud. Where are they? They're in the temple. And here's the glory of God come back at last. Not as you would expect, perhaps, in raging fire, but in a little child. 
the glory of God returned. God himself come to deal with the brokenness and evil in the world. And his kingdom is here, right? We know Jesus' kingdom is inaugurated at his death and his resurrection, that that kingdom has burst out upon the world, and we celebrate that, and we see the signs of that kingdom all around us, and yet his kingdom is not yet here in its fullness. And we, like Israel, are waiting for that day when God himself will come again. And we need him to come, don't we? We're all aware of the areas in our lives where we need him to come. And perhaps in a larger sense, we're so aware of areas in our society where we need him to come and set things right. I love that Malachi looks ahead to this great promise to send a messenger who would, who would spur people to repentance, but then this greater hope that God himself would show up and, and bring justice and healing and life. And so the thrust of Malachi, again, is this. Which life will you choose? Will you give your heart to the Lord and continue on walking with the Lord, a life given to God? where we repent of our sins and we follow him? Or do we need him to come and refine our lives? Think of that refiner's fire that Malachi talks about. We need him to bring cleansing and healing. I like that Malachi speaks of, the, of his fuller soap and refining fire because what, is, what does John the Baptist say as the, as the new Elijah, as the messenger? He says, I baptize you water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Right? That's going right back to Malachi. And so we can say, Lord, would you refine our hearts today? Lord, would you capture us afresh with the beauty and the glory of your gospel, this amazing hope that you've come to give us? And would you uh, settle that deep in our hearts? I was thinking, just as I close, I was thinking of the lyrics of the song, Lord, I Need You, and how it just captures our heart's response to this passage from Malachi, right? Lord, I come, I confess. Bowing here, I find my rest because without you, I fall apart. You're the one that guides my heart. And then this, which is so hitting on those themes from Malachi of God dealing with sin. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found is where you are. Lord, I need you. And so whether you are a believer this morning or whether you've been a Christian for years and years and years and years, may we be captured afresh by that need of the king to come to set things right in our own hearts and in the brokenness of our world. Let's pray together to that end. Lord, we thank you for your great love that you meet us in our sinfulness. And by your grace, you forgive us and you renew us. You call us to be the people that you've created us to be. Lord, this morning we thank you for this reminder from Malachi that you do come to set things right. And when we look around in our world and see the brokenness and the injustice, Lord, this doesn't escape your attention, but it's also not new to you. And Lord, we thank you that in you is hope, not necessarily in more money to address problems, not necessarily in a moral reform in society, but in you alone. Lord, only you can deal with the depth of our sin and the brokenness. Jesus, it's in you alone that we find forgiveness in life. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would come and refine us. Lord, that we would be uh, on fire for you as your followers, as disciples.
Lord, that you would be first and foremost on our hearts. Jesus, we pray that you would keep us from perpetuating ourselves evil in our world, from giving in to sin, giving in to temptation. Lord, we pray for your forgiveness. We thank you that the day of the Lord, the day of your coming, is a day of joy for those who turn to you. And we pray, Father, that you would use us to point many people to you before you come again. Lord, as people need to hear the life-saving message of who you are and what you've done. Lord, as we come to this table this morning, we pray that you would remind us again, Lord, that you invite us into fellowship with you, that you do come with refining fire, but Lord, you also come in a great surprise to many as Savior and as friend because of your great love for us. Lord, we thank you this morning that we can know you. And we thank you, Lord, that you've shown us your great love for us. By dying in our place. By taking the towel. And washing your disciples' feet. Show us what it means to lead and to serve. we pray that you would help us when we feel weary of waiting. To know that you do hold us. And in this season of Advent, where we are so aware of our own waiting and longing, Lord, would you come and satisfy those desires in our heart to see your kingdom come to fulfill the longings that we experience for life to be made well. We ask this in your name. Amen. This morning we're going to celebrate communion. And if you know the Lord, you're welcome to come and to celebrate with us. The uh, hand sanitizer, I think, is right there. There it is. People are already going for it. Well done, you guys. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, in remembrance of me. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So, Lord, pour out your spirit upon us and upon these gifts, that today, Lord, as we would come to this table, we would remember again your great love for us, that you have bound us together in you, and you send us out, Lord, alive with your word and with your grace, we ask in your name. Amen.